Good evening. <laughs> 30 minutes ago, I got a text from Michael Deese, and he said, hey, buddy, I just I want to let you know I left you a gift on the podium. Uh, it's my name tag. So <laughs> That was his way of saying thanks for your office. <laughs> thanks, Michael. <laughs> uh I want you to turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 17. That's where we're going to be tonight. And before we get started, um, I want you to know that this text has reminded me of Valley View for a long time. This text, in particular, when I was here two years or three years ago, I can't, it was three years ago that I was here with Cabot, studying as your youth intern. This Valley View was the very first congregation I had worked with that was not my home congregation. And since then, for a year, you know, and, and then add on top of that the additional three months that I was here that summer, it has become a home to me. But I remember thinking three years ago, reading this passage and thinking while I was working here, this reminds me of Valley View. This woman reminds me of Valley View and the good that they do. And it specifically reminds me of how they relate to the resident ministry role uh, here. It reminded me of how you treated Bobby, and now I have stepped into that role, and I found the exact same love uh, that he found in it. So I want to share with you my thoughts on this tonight, and, and I wished I could have done it three years ago, but this wasn't my sermon to preach then. It, it was Bobby's. So now it's my opportunity, and, and I want to share that with you. Everything in the world that you do, everything in the world that you do, you do to get something in return, right? I mean, for the most part, that only me makes common sense. And I know a few workaholics. I really do. I think my daddy may be one, and I know that my Uncle Steve is one. And even they, even though they can't help to work and think about work when they're home, even they will not work overtime if they are not getting time and a half. I don't know anybody that does that. You go to college. You go to college and you study for four years, and why did you go? Because, yes, you wanted to receive an education, and yes, you wanted to fill your mind with knowledge of that scripture as a Bible major, and if you walked out of there straight A's, kuma, uh, I don't even know how to say it because I didn't get that. Kuma, laudi, saudi, what is that? Summa? I don't know. Anyways, you get that straight A's all the way through, and at the end, when, when you're about to walk across the stage, they tell you, great, here's all your knowledge, but we're not giving you that diploma. You better give me my diploma. I worked four years. I will be in a hole of debt the rest of my life. I have bled. I have cried real tears. Give me my paper. Everything we do, we do to get something, right? That's the way this thing works. And if it stopped working that way, the world wouldn't work anymore. How in the world would capitalism work? It wouldn't, right? That's, that's the way that this thing works. But when we see somebody work in complete opposition to this idea, it catches your attention. A light bulb goes off. And you pay attention to that person and you wonder, why does this person act a little different than everything else the world is trying to tell me I should be living my life like? Why do they act a little different? 
why do they seem a little strange? I want you to look with me to 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 17. Go ahead and turn with me there. And as you do, I'm going to give you an assignment. We're going to read about a woman who helps a prophet. And here's what the answer, this is what I want you to be looking for. This is the question I want you to answer. If 99% of the time that we help somebody else, if, if everything the world is trying to teach you is that you do something to receive something in return, then here's what I want you to figure out with me. As we read this text, look at the Shunammite woman and ask yourself, what is her motive? Why does she do what she does? Because what you're going to see is for the good that she does, she gets something. She absolutely does receive a blessing from this prophet, but did she do what she did so that she could receive this blessing from this prophet? That's the question that I want you to be looking for, and, and I'd have a hard time paying attention if I'm not looking for an answer. So, 2 Kings chapter 4 verses 1 through 17, and remember, what is this Shunammite woman's uh, driving force? One day, Elisha went on to Shunam, where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food, and she said to her husband, you know, <laughs> I didn't know it before, but behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God. Because he's continually passing our way. See, I've had some time to study him. Verse 10, let's make a small room on the roof with walls and put for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there and he turned into the chamber and he rested there and he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. And when he called her, she stood before him, and he had said, Say now to her, See that you've taken all this trouble for us. What could be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to a king or to the commander of the army? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said then, What good can be done for her? Gehazi answered, Well, she has no son, and her husband is old. And he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway and he said, at this season, about this time next year, you're going to embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord. O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived and she bore a son about that time the following spring. As Eliza, Elisha had said to her, Isn't it strange that she wants to build a whole other room to her house? That she even wants to furnish it? And while it isn't fancy and it's simple, she went out of her way, spent lots of money in her day to build this room on top of the roof so that this prophet, as he moved from one place to the other, could be comfortable. That she put up those four walls so that he felt secure. That she gave him a lamp so that he could see his space and he felt safe in his space at night. That he could go there, get out of the sun and wouldn't have to worry about it beating on him and baking him like it would at any other time. And that she gave him a bed so that he could lay there in comfort and rest. 
That's what he did. She did that for him. And on top of all of that, she did it knowing that this man was going to pass through her town all the time because he already did. That's the reason she did it, right? She knew she would have the opportunity to help him all the time. She built that. And what I want to know is why. Why would she voluntarily build this room on her house, spend her own money and her own time to build this place of comfort for somebody who isn't going to give her anything in return? Why would she have done this? I can think of a few reasons why a selfish person may do it. A selfish person may be watching some fixer-upper And they watch Chip and Joe Gaines and this woman who has no money of her own but has a wealthy husband decides, look, I can get my reno done. If I can just talk him into helping this preacher out, I can have my room aloft on top of the house that we can see far and wide. But you know what? That could not have been her purpose, right? A selfish person may have wanted a position of higher security in her community. She may have wanted to ensure that if she could hold this blessing over the top of that preacher's head, if I can just convince him that he needs to help me because I helped him, then he can use his ability to lift me up in society. That's the only realistic reason I can think of. And if you look in the text, in verse 10, I believe that it is, or no, it's verse 13. He says, let me do this for you because this is what I can do And guess what? She says, I don't need that. The one good excuse that I can think of for why she would have dangled this over his head, she didn't even want. Maybe she intended to receive a blessing, but you know what that blessing couldn't have possibly, she thought she was going to receive? It couldn't possibly have been that she wanted a child. And you know why I know that? It's because a prophet opening the womb of a woman through the power of God is a miracle. It is the exception to the rule. It does not happen often. She could not have possibly thought that she was going to receive this blessing from this prophet. She couldn't have, right? How could she have? And as a matter of fact, she denies it. Why would you, if you were fighting for a blessing, say, Don't tell me that lie, preacher. Don't tell me I'm going to receive a child if you know that it possibly can't happen. If she was expecting it, she wouldn't have denied it. So that wasn't her push either. That isn't why she did it. And on top of all of this, nothing in the text tells us that she was fighting for a blessing. Instead, the text tells us that she had one purpose. She did this for one, one reason, and that's in verse 10. So if you believe the writer of 2 Kings, and I do, then you should believe what he believes this woman did this for. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 10. Let's listen to why she did this for this preacher. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 10. I hope you're looking there with me. She said to her husband, let's make a small roof on the roof, uh, roof, Let's make a small room on the roof with walls and put there a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. Did you hear that? So that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. That's it. 
That is the reason that she built this room. Not because of anything he could give her, but because she wanted to do it for him. As a matter of fact, she did it knowing that he could not possibly bless her as much as she was going to bless him for this. She did it for that reason, because he couldn't have blessed her. His only means of doing it, she said she didn't want. She didn't do this for the kid. She did it for him and for God's kingdom. And the real power in it is even if she had built him a whole house and planted him in Shunem, the gospel couldn't have been preached the way that it was by Elisha because he was a traveling preacher. There was strength in her blessing because it was only ever intended to be a temporary place for the preacher to live. That was it. What it was, this is what it boils down to. What she did for Elisha was the perfect gift at the perfect time in this preacher's life and for his service to God's kingdom. That's what it boils down to. Here's what I want you to know. This story reminds me of the Valley View Church of Christ. Church, if it were my job to rename the resident ministry program and give it a different name than anybody has ever heard of, what I would rename it to would be the Shunammite Ministry. And I'll tell you why. Both the Valley View Church and the Shunammite woman had figured out something special. Something that runs in complete opposition to everything the world teaches us today. You bring in young preachers and their wives, knowing that they cannot bless you in any way. And in spite of the fact that I have nothing to offer you, you take me in. Do you want to know how I know that? Do you know what this ministry does? And I, I know, I hear you, I've heard you all day. You've said, you've blessed us, you've blessed us, and, and I may have, but it can't be a drop in the bucket compared to what you've done for me. It can't be, because here's why. The reason this program exists, the whole reason this exists, is because preachers like me, who come out of college at 23 with a young wife, we can't step into the pulpit and support ourselves full time. I wouldn't have been able to do it a year ago. And I may have learned, and I may have gotten that job for a year or two, and there's no telling, it may end in a year for me where I'm going. You know, I don't know that. But I'm better prepared now, huh? Oh, he's trying to tell me something. I'm better prepared now than I was, right? You help me in spite of the fact that I have nothing to offer you. I can't bless you in the way that you've tremendously blessed us, and that's the power of the Shunammite ministry at the Valley View Church of Christ. And what connects that story to Valley View even more is that just as this ministry aids a minister temporarily, so did the Shunammite woman with Elisha. Elisha was only supposed to stop at her house as he traveled through, transitioned from one town to the next preaching. And for me, that's what Valley View has been. For a year, you've temporarily taken me in. You've allowed me to transition from college to full-time pulpit ministry. You have been that transition. But if you made this a forever thing, and you said, we're going to make you a minister here is an associate minister. 
it would not be as effective as it is the way you're doing it, and I'll tell you why. Because if you don't bring somebody in to study under Spencer or to study with you for a year, every year that you exist, it has to be a a disappointment because of all that you're giving back to the kingdom. You are richly blessing the kingdom every year you bring another person through this program. The power of it is in the fact that it's temporary and that it's, it's a transition time. But most of all, the reason that this reminds me of a Shunammite ministry is because there are 700 people here who share in this mission and they live their lives like this Shunammite woman. And for the rest of the time that I speak here, I want to give you examples of the Shunammites that I've met here. And while I'm going to name a few stories and I'm going to tell you about a few people in particular, there's no way in the world that I'm going to be able to get to all of them. And I'm looking at some of you that have blessed me richly and I'm not going to tell stories about you because I could tell stories, I could tell stories for a week and my mama don't want to hear me that bad, guys. She don't even want to hear me that long. So I'm going to tell a few and I want you to know that they're just, they're just a few representations of the countless ways that I've been blessed since I've been here. Here's the first one. We travel to churches all over northeast Arkansas every week preaching. And we've developed, me and Madison have, relationships with people uh, and discover connections to churches everywhere. For example, the church that I have preached at the most since I've been here has been the Egypt Church of Christ. I've preached there more than anywhere else. The Church of Egypt is 20 people. And before you laugh and say that's a small number, uh, here's what I want you to know. The town of Egypt, the sprawling metropolis of Egypt, has 100 people in it, including the cows. So a church of 20 is 20% of the people in that community. Do you see? If you took all the churches of Christ and added them together, I don't think in Jonesboro it would add up to 20%, right? They, have, they are doing ministry over there, and they're a blessing, and they're, they're a sweet church, and they've loved us every time that we've gone out there. They knew that we were going to be hired before you knew that we were going to be hired because that's where I preached the Sunday I found out. The preacher who was there for years and years was G.W. Allison. G.W. is here right now. I think I saw him a little while earlier. Uh, He was the preacher at that congregation. And he is talked about there as if he is a larger-than-life character. They talk about him as if he is a folktale, G.W. Allison. And now he's a member here. I don't think you realize the blessing that you have in him and Miss Fran. They keep a board up. He put a sentence on his last week at, at Egypt, and it, that note has stayed on that board encouraging them to today. Like, it does not get erased, and if I erased it, I may not leave that building you know, without being hung. It would be bad, right? They love GW. And when you walk up to their podium, I wish I had put a picture up there. I took a picture of it, but I forgot to put it on a PowerPoint. They have, on one side of their pulpit, on the right-hand side, uh, a, uh, stairs and handrails on both sides. So they've got two handrails. And the reason they have those two handrails is because at one point in time, GW had gotten so sick there that he had to have both handrails to get on to the, the podium where the pulpit was. And then he would shuffle over to where the pulpit is and he'd grab it and he would use it as his walker the whole time he was preaching. That's how long he preached there and how loved he was 
by that church. And the first week I was there, I walked up the right side where the handrails were. And that was a mistake. Because nobody, nobody, except G.W. Allison walks up the right side of the pulpit. You only walk on the left side. I had not earned it yet. You see what I'm saying? They love G.W. G.W. was the very first member here outside of the staff that I told that I was moving and had accepted this job. And the reason I went for him is because G.W., Brother Allison, has preached forever. And I wanted his advice And he gave me great advice. I have spent more hours with him talking than just about anybody else here. And the reason I go is because he offers me such wisdom. Such great, deep wisdom that I will remember and carry with me for the rest of my life. And nine times out of ten, when I go to Brother Allison, he's on the back reading his Bible. The only other person I have ever caught reading their Bible as much as him is Bill Berry. Because every time I go see Bill Berry, he's got a Bible in his hand. And he's reading, and, and to me, that, that means a lot. Brother G.W. Allison and Miss Fran, to me, those people are Shunammites. The next people, uh, Max and Doris Merrill uh, and Gary Forbes, Miss Linda too. These people have gotten me in the habit of visiting every other Monday morning to the McDonald's at Walmart in Jonesboro. And the reason that I go there is because they've loved me and have taken me in and taken me under their wing. Uh, Every time I go, Max and Doris insist that they pay for my meal, and that's the way that it's going to be. So so I let them pay for my meal, and they want to do that. So that's, that's what I let them do. And they've cared about me. And I've never told them this, but they remind me so much of my own grandparents. Um... Miss Doris cares for Brother Max a lot, and I know that you knew Max before he had difficulty speaking, but I did not. And it doesn't stop him from speaking because he talks 90 to nothing regardless, but you have a hard time understanding him, and Miss Doris is his translator. Miss Doris acts as his translator, and she helps him in every way that he possibly needs. She said, Max, pump the gas, and she had to learn how to pump gas after he had his stroke. He did everything for her, and, and he can't anymore. That's the same thing that happened to my own grandparents. And for that reason, I, I think that I've been closer to them than just about a lot of people. I've just, I've taken an affection to them for some reason. And they brought me personally the tie that I'm wearing right now. And they brought me personally a shirt that they wanted me to wear to work because I didn't have any short sleeve shirts. I've only got these long ones. And they said, you'll get hot, so you need that. And they, they brought that to me because They said they didn't want to put it under the the tree, but I I actually think it was because they knew they were going to be in the hospital tonight because Max has uh, pneumonia. And then there's Gary. Gary goes every single Monday to visit with them, and the reason he goes is because he doesn't want Miss Doris to have to carry her wheelchair. He does that for them, and he reels him in, and he wheels him back out, and he puts the wheelchair back again. And to me, it's because Gary... Miss Linda, Doris, and Max, these people are Shunammites. And while I've been here, some more Shunammites, I've spent time with a group of guys, uh, Michael Deese, Heath, Daniel, Will, and Michael Matthews. These guys have become my group. And they, they have helped me so much while I've been here because where I'm going, there won't be many people under the age of 30 that are male 
period, to infancy. Like there aren't that many, and I'm not going to have that group anymore. And what I want them to know is, is inadvertently, whether you knew it or not, by not leaving me alone when my wife had to go to work, you helped me fight a lot of sin in my life. By just being with me, and I'm a preacher, by just being around me, you help me fight sin more than you'll ever even know. To me, y'all are Shunammites. The staff here, Miss LaVon, Charlotte, and Michael, I can't express the lessons that you've taught me. And I've been spending time with you, whether you've known it or not, asking very pointed questions, just like every other resident minister here will, if they're smart, because when I get where I'm going, I'm going to be the secretary, youth minister, children's minister, uh, elderly minister, pulpit minister, because I'm the only person on staff. I've been studying from them. I got a flash drive from Miss Risa Rothy with all of the children's minister stuff. I've been studying under you, and you have forever impacted my ministry. To me, you were Shunammites. The elders here, I cannot express to you the good that these men and their wives do for this congregation. And there are conversations that I've sat in and listened that they've had that I can't even share up here because they're private. Those prayers need to be left private. But not one word of brokenness has came from their mouths as they prayed for every single one of you by name. They love this congregation. And to me, they are biblically what I see as shepherds. I've seen these men get down on the ground and cry with members of this congregation and hold them and let them know that whenever the world gets away from them and, and accuses them of things that are false, that the church will never, ever abandon them because we know who they are and because we're your elders. To me, that is the biblical shepherd. And I hope that I can again work with men like you. <coughs> to me, you're Shunammites. And last, Spencer, you and your family has blessed mine for an eternity. You took me under your wing and you blessed me with countless opportunities to grow. You and I started resident ministry together, and we both learned how it would function together. And you made me feel like I had an impact on how it would function moving forward. You pushed me to be better. You sound, uh, sat down with me and critiqued my lessons. Church, we sat down after every single sermon I preach when I have a recording, and he critiques it. And sometimes that can be hard because... Not all my sermons, and maybe most of them, are not grade-A stuff, okay? There is a lot to work on, especially the first time through. So I had wrote this sermon in James at the Pigot Church of Christ. And Spencer, before he tears me down, will try to find something to really make you feel good about in your sermon, right? And I preached this sermon, and I cringed before he even looked at the video. He's behind me. I can't see him, but I can feel the, the disappointment, okay? I preached this sermon, and I knew before I he listened, I knew I messed this up bad. It was basically a college prepper. It was not a sermon. It was a college paper, and he listened to it, and he said, trying to give me a compliment, and it, it's an effort. It, it was a really bad compliment, but he tried. It was. <laughs> he said, well, you know, Jonathan, you have never preached anything like that before. <laughs> That's the best he could do. And I appreciate that because he tried. People ask me, 
how, how do you take being critiqued? Because that's part of what this thing is. You have to be or you cannot grow. And I told them, and I want you all to know, that I have never once been critiqued by Spencer and ever felt that I was being attacked or that I was being viewed negatively or that I was being mistreated. Every single word that he has ever told me has come from a place of love or else I wouldn't be here, right? He cares about me and he loves me, he loves my wife and he wants my ministry to be successful. And because of that, uh, he's helped me grow. He's even entrusted me with a lot of things that you cannot get in college. I've preached two funerals while I've been here, and even though the families may not admit it, and maybe they don't feel this way, I, I know they had rather had Spencer preach those funerals probably, right? But Spencer asked them on my behalf if they would let me preach those funerals. To me, that means a lot. Because of that, I'm never, ever going to forget those families. I'm always going to remember the names of those people because they're the very first funerals I ever preached in my life. There are families that I've grown closer to here than just about anybody else, and it's because I know more about them. He taught me the questions to ask. He taught me how to console a family. And the first time, he walked with me through it, asked the questions, and I copied them, and then I repeated them over when I did the next one by myself. He's with me. He is the right teacher. And every year that you don't do this, you should be, because you're helping the kingdom by doing it. To me... You're a Shunammite. So I want to say thank you, Valley View. Thank you, thank you, thank you a million times over. Thank you. Because unlike Elisha, a thank you is all I can offer. I can't open anybody's wombs. I am not a man of God. I don't even know what that means exactly. I'm no different than you are, right? But what I want you to know that if this is the best I can do is a thank you. It's a drop in the bucket to the blessing that you've been to me and to my wife and my family moving forward. Thank you. Thank you for being Shunammites, and thank you for this residence ministry. As I finish, I want to I finish with a prayer. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this Valley View congregation. That just like the Shunammite woman, that they have committed to helping your kingdom, and they do it in spite of the things that they can receive, but instead only want to give back to your kingdom to its ministers and their wives and families. And because of that, they are, they are the church, God. Bless them. Bless the leadership here. Bless the preacher here. Bless all of their families because they're leading this church in the way that it needs to be led because they're leading it based upon your word. They're based upon the leadership that you've taught them and your son. Please, please, please bless them. Bless every single one of the families that are here. Put your arms around them and comfort them because, because moving forward, there are going to be times that are hard on this congregation and there already have been, but they've held together. They've held together because they mean a lot to each other and they all uh, know how much that each other means to you. Please, please, please bless this congregation. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Church, here, here's my... That's a weird invitation. I know this is going to be the weirdest one I've ever done because it doesn't go with it at all. Here's what I want you to know. If you're not a member of the church and you want to feel the love that I felt by these people who did not know me from Adam four years ago but instead have taken me and my wife as their own and forever will regard us as their own till we die, if you want 
to be a part of somebody who will bless you like that, even though they don't know you, there is not a place in the world you could go that would be better than being here. Please, please, for the sake of your soul, be a part of these people because they're going to help you get to heaven. Whatever your need may be, come forward as we stand and as we sing.